we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. good to be together for worship. Um, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church, the preaching pastor here in Lagos, and it is a delight always to be able to worship, sing songs of praise together. It's what we find the assembly doing today as they approach the temple, uh, the completed temple today, and we do the same thing. We give praise to the Lord. If you're new with us today, let me just say, uh, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we are so thrilled uh, that you would entrust your Sunday morning to us and meet with us and worship with us. We know it's no small thing, so whether you're in the room or you are worshiping with us online, thank you for gathering with us today. It's so important. And uh, with that said, the easiest way to let us know that you're here is by going to fbcsa.org connect. Just a simple way to just drop us a line and say, hey, I worshiped with you today. Also, let me remind you that a part of our worship is giving and trusting what God has already given to us, to him as an act of worship and uh, participating in what God is doing in the city through the resources that he has given you and through you to our church family to be on mission in all the places he, call, he has called us to go. You can do that uh, right here in the room as you are dismissed today. We have little cool little boxes that you can put um, offering in, uh, or if you would rather go online, you can go to fbcsa.org slash give. But let us worship in that way. If you are new with us here, and just by way of reminder, we do this thing that we call reverse. It's really just a kind of a, a word we've kind of put together to mean that we are literally on the same page together every week and every Sunday. We invite you over the course of 13 weeks to join us in reading and studying the same scripture together. So we provide a devotional material and blogs every, uh, every day where our pastors get to reflect on that reverse text. And then when you go into small group uh, or Sunday morning Bible study, you are studying together and talking about that same passage that ideally you've been reading every day. And then when you walk into worship, uh, the preaching pastor will preach from that same text. So ideally, we have been saturating in the same verses of Scripture together all week. And if it's not already a normal part of your rhythm, even if you've been a part of our church family for some time to engage in the refers text every week, every day, can I encourage you to do so? Um, God is faithful if we posture ourselves to meet him, meet him in his word, to reveal himself to us through his word. Um, and and uh, so join us in that reverse journey. And so today in our reverse journey, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Um, actually, it's not 11 through 14. It's, it's actually beginning in verse 1. 
uh, going through 14. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're just going to read a few of these verses together, beginning in verse 7. Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place, which is in front of the most holy place, but not from the outside. They are still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left Egypt. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good, His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. The glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. You may be seated. Father, we do ask that you help us to see and understand your word. Um, Help us to have confidence in your ongoing presence in our life through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. I heard that. That was awesome. Amen. <laughs> well, we, we find ourselves uh, where Solomon has completed the building of the temple, and it is now time to restore this grand tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant, to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the completed temple. And just by way of reminder, the Ark of the Covenant has been separated from the tabernacle for about a hundred years or more at this point. It's been a long time since the Ark of the Covenant has been where it belongs. And so this is a big deal. Uh, The completion of the temple, this grand, glorious tabernacle, permanent tabernacle has been completed. And now it's time for Solomon to unite the Ark of the Covenant with this new completed temple. And so as he did, uh, as David did before him in important moments, he gathered all the leaders and assembled them all together. And the, and the leader, leaders, the various leaders of the different tribes of Israel together to be a part of this significant, significant moment. And so they go and the Levites who alone can touch the Ark and are, are, are move the ark. The Levites are commissioned to go get the ark from the tent that was already in Jerusalem. Um, and they begin to bring and usher in the ark of the covenant into the completed temple. And all along the way, they are making sacrifice, burnt offerings unto the Lord as an atonement, a symbol of atonement, for them to be ushered into the very presence of God in this very, very special moment. And after um, they make sacrifice and are bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, the Word of God tells us that they, they sing songs of praise with various instruments and voices, and they sing psalms. I, we only get a snapshot of the, song, the psalms and songs that they are singing. 
But they're praising the Lord. They're rejoicing in this significant moment in the history of their people. That once again, the Ark of the Covenant, the very throne of God, could be united into this now permanent tabernacle structure. And what happens at this point, after the movement of the Ark, the multiple sacrifices... Uh, the songs of praise and worship that happens, God descends as a thick cloud and fills the temple. So much so that the priests who were called to do certain tasks in the holy place couldn't continue with what they were doing. The presence of God was so overwhelming that they had to stop what they were doing. Pretty significant moment in the history of Israel when the Ark of the Covenant is placed inside the temple for the very first time and God makes his presence known to his people that I am here, I'm here. Don't you long? Uh, Maybe you don't, but if you're like me, maybe do you long for that tangible sense of God's presence in your own life? Man. Man. I mean, it's just like clockwork here. I mean, they, they did all the right things. Um, uh, the atoning sacrifices and the worship and the songs of praise. And it was just as if right on cue, God descended and filled the temple and made his presence known. Man, don't you long for God's presence in your own life? I certainly do. I I would love to be able to know more and more God's tangible presence in my life in a a way that I can see and touch and feel. What a gift God gave to them. But before we draw the conclusion uh, that God was essentially saying, ah, finally, (laughs) finally you have enough gold on the walls for me to show up. Uh, Finally, you're singing loud enough. Finally, you have enough sacrifices that I'm going to show up. Let me remind you, that is not what was going on here. And let me be, be, be so bold to say, this was not God necessarily blessing the building, the temple. Uh, this was not putting his signature on it and say, yeah, I really bless what you're doing here. Good job. Y'all have done really good hard work and have made a beautiful enough place for me to come and dwell with you. This is, that's not what God's presence means in this situation. That's not what God is trying to say. So what is God trying to say if it is not him kind of putting an asterisk on this event and saying, yes, well done, you've done a really good job, now I can show up. What is he trying to say? Well, I think God is saying in this moment as he descends upon the temple in a thick cloud and making his presence known that he's saying what he's always been saying. That I'm with you. I'm with you. I am your God and you are my people. Remember, God's presence has never been, God's presence is not about the temple of the situation. In fact, you remember if you go back, when we first started this, this walk through uh, uh, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, from the very beginning, David said, Lord, I want to build a temple. And God said, I don't need a temple. I've never asked you to build a temple. God's presence in this situation is not about the temple. But again, it's about God saying to them once again, I am with you. I am your God and you are my people. 
You know, even Jesus would say, remember the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman? And she was like, would you just tell me where we need to worship? And Jesus said, you know, there's going to be a day where it doesn't matter whether you worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem in the temple, which is crazy talk, by the way. And he says, the building doesn't matter. It's not about the temple. It's not about this mountain. It's about God and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So again, this is not God blessing this building, the temple. It's again saying that I am with you as I always have been with you. It's God expressing his continuity that I've, I, from the very beginning, I have been with you. Uh, the very God that was with Moses, I am with you now. The same God that, that led the people through the desert by pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. I am the very same God. I'm the very same God that revealed himself to Moses and part of his glory to Moses. I'm the very same God that descended in cloud and thunder and fire and smoke on the mountain when I gave Moses the law or the Ten Commandments. I'm the very same God. And as I was with Moses, now I am with you. That's what God is trying to communicate to these people, is that I am the same God. And I'm with you. And I've made a way for you to know me, to meet with me, to love me, and walk with me. This is God saying, listen, folks, this isn't anything new. I'm the very same God that met with Moses in the tabernacle. And the expectations that I have of you today are the same expectations I've had of the people from the very beginning. To walk with me, love me, obey me to know me, and I have made a way for you to know me. And still we're left with that question of our own selves. We think about, gosh, what a privilege it was for the presence of God in the temple on that day to even communicate that, that I am always with you, to reveal himself in that tangible way with a cloud descending upon the temple. What a privilege it was for them to see that and encounter the presence of God, the revelation of God in that way. And we resonate with that, aching for the same thing, right? Gosh, even now I wish I could feel and see and taste the revelation of God in my life, to know the presence of God in my life. Well, the truth is um, that God's continuity of his presence and the fulfillment of his presence was ultimately revealed through whom? Jesus. Jesus. We've already alluded to that throughout the sermon series, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the demands of the tabernacle, from the atoning sacrifices to the, the washing of the hands of the feet. And all of those uh, are fulfilled and represented in the person of Jesus. In fact, if you remember... The Word of God talks about that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. He is the ultimate revelation of the presence and reality of God and His promise to His people. He is righteousness and truth. John, when he um, writes at the beginning of his gospel, uh, listen to these words. 
John chapter 1, verse 14. This is what John says. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was fully uh, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. There's such remarkable tabernacle-like language there. When they put the tabernacle together and even completed the temple, they talked about it being a dwelling place for the Lord. Not as if God needed a home, we know that, but a place where God would meet with his people. And what, is, what does John say? That, that Jesus becoming a man made his home or dwelling among us. Such beautiful tabernacle language, such language that captures the revelation of God through Jesus, the very presence of God in Christ. And we have seen his glory. How does this story wrap up in Second Chronicles chapter 5? Is that they beheld his glory, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Well, John is saying that the fulfillment of the continuity of God and his presence with his people is in Jesus. That he is the very glory of God. The revelation of the very image of the invisible God to us. And he has made his dwelling among us. Uh, Pastor Jimmy said, reminded us, his name is Emmanuel, which is God with us. That was the very heartbeat and purpose and longing for the temple. That, that, that God had made a way that he would meet with us so that we could know him. And John is saying to us, Jesus is the fulfillment of of what the whole purpose of the tabernacle was from the very beginning, and even the temple, that we might know God and behold His presence. Uh, So the Word became man and made His dwelling among us. Beautiful tabernacle language. Even in verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, talking about Jesus, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. We can know and experience the presence of God because of that historical reality of the coming of the Son. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He's our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. Even now, before the Father, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. This is all review. We've talked about this before. But Jesus is doing that atoning work, interceding on our behalf, even now, before the Father, for you and me. And that is incredible. But many of us still will say, Danny, you're talking about experiences that the apostles had over 2,000 years ago. They saw Jesus with their very own eyes. They had meals with him. They touched him. They saw the very image of the invisible God with Jesus. Danny, you're you're talking about real-life historical experiences that other people had, and I don't see Jesus face-to-face or touch him in the same way that these men have done in the past or other people had did when Jesus walked the earth, and I long for that. You're telling me and describing for me foreign experiences. What about right now in my own life? How do I engage 
uh, this incredible revelation that is made to us through Christ in a very real and tangible way in my own life? Am I the only one asking that question? And every so often I'll have conversations with people that will say, "I, I just wish I could see Jesus with my own eyes. In a, in a real historical sense in the same way that the apostles did. What are we to do? What do we do? Well, the good news is this, is that the apostles not only, shared, not only had the experience of being with Jesus in a tangible sense, knowing his presence, um, but they also know know what it's like to be alone or without Christ. Not alone. They also know what it's like for Jesus to be away from them. And Jesus prepared them for that. They know what it's like to have the same longings and aches that we do to see Jesus and to know his presence, to feel his presence. In John chapter 14... Jesus really tries to prepare them for these moments. Um, You can follow along with me. It's beginning in verse 18 of John 14. He says, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I am you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Reveal myself to each of them. Um, if, you, if you jump down to verse 28, listen to this. Remember what I told you. I am going away. That's the last thing they wanted to hear. But he said, listen, let me remind you, I'm going away. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. The apostles knew exactly what it was like to be without Jesus in the same way that we are without Jesus. Although we have an advantage to some degree these days. So how in the world did they live and how are we called to live even now so that we can know and trust and have faith in the presence of God through Jesus. So that longing that we have when we we read those accounts of the cloud, the presence of God descending upon the temple, and that longing to say, gosh, I wish I could have that kind of experience my whole life. How How do we posture ourselves to encounter God through Christ so that we might know his presence and his reality? Just a few suggestions to offer you. One of the promises that Jesus has gives his disciples in John 14 and then John 16 is that even though I'm going and I'm going to be away and you're not going to see me again for some time, although I'm coming back to you, is that I'm giving you my spirit. Uh, my spirit will be in you, Jesus will say. Paul will say the same thing, that the spirit of God is a deposit in you. And so how do we encounter the presence of God? How do we know his tangible reality in our life? 
Well, we do it by the Spirit through His Word. We do it by the Spirit through His people. And we experience their tangible reality of the presence of of God by His Spirit through His work of obedience in our life. We probably could add a few things to that. But let me just make a few comments about the ones that I've just mentioned. So the question for us again is, how do we, this side of eternity, before Christ comes back and reveals himself to us and uh, in all of who he is, and we're ushered in into eternity, um, how do we know God's tangible presence? By his spirit through his word, by his spirit through his people, and by his spirit through his work and work of obedience in our life. Um, We know that the Spirit of God was promised to the disciples, and the Spirit of God, Jesus said through John 14, that, listen, my Spirit will bring to remembrance all that I've told you and even teach you new things, and uh, you will write these things down. And so we can trust that by the Spirit, we can encounter God and know His presence through His Word that we can experience who Christ is through his word, but what he reveals to us through the Spirit of God, through his written word. It's one place that we can go to know and experience God's presence in us. Uh, We can experience God's presence, his tangible presence, through his people, through the church, uh, because God's Spirit is in all of us as sons and daughters of God. And if that's a reality, then that we are more likely to know and taste and savor the presence of God when we gather together rather than if we don't. We will know God's presence through His people. Years and years and years ago, I had a conversation uh, at the time. He was Pastor John Piper at Bethlehem Baptist Church. Um, Gosh, this was so long ago. And... uh, One of the things he always talks about is being satisfied in God, being satisfied in God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What a beautiful reality. So I asked him, when are you most satisfied in God? When are you most satisfied in God? Um, Essentially the same question. When can I experience and know the reality and presence of God in my life? I wanted to know with him, you're talking about it a lot, when do you experience that the most? You want to know his answer was? when I gather with my brothers and sisters for worship and we sing songs of praise together. Those are the times when I experience my satisfaction in God the most, or I would say, in my own words, how I experience the reality, the presence of God the most is when I gather with God. One of the ways that we taste and savor the very presence of God through Jesus is when we gather for worship. And to add to that, uh, when we serve one another, That's also a reality. When we serve one another, John chapter 13, verse 34 says, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another, right? And just early on in that chapter, what's that scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet? And he says, listen, if I'm your master and Lord and I'm washing your feet, you you should be doing this with one another. You should be doing this with one another. You should be serving one another. One of the ways that we can experience the reality and presence of God in our life is by serving one another. Allowing the Spirit of God to to flesh out His fruit in us that results in us bending down and washing each other's feet. 
or whatever service looks like. That's how we can know the presence of God in our life and experience the presence of our, in God in our life. We can know and taste the presence of God in our life, encounter the revelation of Jesus in our life through his spirit and work of obedience. If you go back to John chapter 14, verse 21, he says, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. One of the ways that we can know and experience the presence of God in our life is by listening to God as his children and loving God as his children, and obeying God as his children. That's what the Word of God says. If they love me, they're going to obey me. And when they obey me, I will reveal myself to them. Do you want to know the presence of God in your life? Do you want to know the tangible reality of Christ in your life? Then Jesus says, love me and obey me, and I'll reveal myself to you. We can know and encounter the reality of Jesus and his presence when we actively not just express our love to him with words, but express our love to him by doing what he asks us to do, joining with him in his work. That's how we might experience the presence and reality of God. Obedience is our expression of love for Jesus. And so those three places, let's just call them places, Gosh, I really, Danny, I just long, I just long to know the reality of Jesus. I feel so empty. I mean, I feel like I just, I just have no feeling inside about whether, you know, Jesus is real or not. We live in this broken world. I feel like everything's upside down. I feel alone. I feel empty. I just want to know that Jesus is the real thing. I just want him to walk into the room and, and touch me, and, and I want to be able to see him, and I want to be able to experience him. And, and through that, I just want to be rejuvenated to know, yes, this is real. Well, I think God would say, I want you to go to those three places. Uh, because of the power of the Spirit in you, you can encounter me in my word to you. I'm always speaking. God is always speaking. The purpose of the tabernacle, it, it embodied the very throne room of God where God would descend and speak to Moses or others. The high priest, he would reveal himself and give direction. God would descend and speak. Listen, through Christ and the power of the Spirit of God, God is always speaking through his spirit, through his word. That's one place we can go. The second place we can go is uh, through the power of the spirit with his people, gathering in worship, serving and loving one another. There we experience the experience, the spirit of God at work in us through singing together, receiving his word together. And, and lastly, and we could probably add a lot more to this list, but when you obey me, I'm gonna reveal myself to you. You're gonna see what I'm doing you're going to see me at work. You're going to see my glory. The question is not whether or not I have got to jump through all these hoops in order for God to see me. 
The question is, will I posture myself to go to the places where I know God already is and where he's already speaking? Will I leverage my life? Will I, will I put and position myself in those places where I'm more likely to see and encounter Jesus in a real and tangible way? In part now and fulfillment when he returns. There's that caveat, right? In part now, but in full when he returns. We get that. But am I positioning myself? Last night, Ann and I started watching this show um, about uh, animals at night, wild animals at night, and it was in the Savannah Lands in uh, South and Eastern Africa. And uh, it's incredible, by the way, we had to turn it off because it was getting a little tense because lions and stuff were, you know what they do. But um, Anna's like, I can't watch that. I can't, if it's going to get tense like that before bedtime, I can't watch it. I can't see a little elephant get taken down. And uh, so we stopped it. But here's the thing. I know the context is all wacky right now, but listen. What we learned was, and this is just a reminder, we know this, but the the lionesses, before the prey would ever show up on the scene, would wait in places, anticipating that they would come down this way because that's where the water was. They would posture themselves knowing that that's likely where the elephants are going to come. That's likely where the prey is going to show up. But what's true for the predators in this scene is true for us if we're aching and longing to encounter the presence of God in our life, is that we've got to practice the presence of God. We've got to posture ourselves anticipating that God is most likely, more likely to show up in these places than he is in all these other places that I find myself going to. Can you imagine if the prodigal son, while he was eating and putting slop in his mouth because he had nowhere else to go, just said over and over, said, gosh, I can't, where is my dad in all this? Where's my dad in all this? Why, why isn't my dad here? I can't see my dad. And he's just continuing to commit himself to where he is and what he's doing in that moment. Stuffing his face with food that pigs would eat. No, but he came to his senses. He said, no, I've got I've to return I've got to go to the place where I know I can encounter my God. What's true for the prodigal son, it's true for us. If you're longing for the presence of God in your life, you have to posture yourself to encounter him in the places that he's most likely going to show up. If you are overwhelmed and stressed out by your schedules and living in fear, and you're wondering all the time, where is, when is God going to show up? When is God going to show up? But you've never made time to posture yourself to go to the places where you know God is most likely to be. Then you've got to come to your senses and return. If you're asking yourself, why, God, why doesn't God just speak to me like he, Jesus spoke to the disciples when they walked with him on earth? Why does he just speak to me? And you're not opening God's word. Then you're not going to encounter the presence, the reality of God in your life. You must posture yourself to see and encounter God in the places that he is to be found. 
where you can know and taste his presence. So Christian, will you by the power of the Spirit seek him in his word? Will you by the power of the Spirit be committed to gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't perfect, who are flawed to the core, who are going to disappoint you, but are you committed to gathering with them and loving them and serving them and pursuing unity with them? Are you committed to not just talking about your love for God, but obeying God, forgiving your brother and sister, serving those who are in desperate need for the blessing and help from the Lord through you? Will you obey him? It's those places where you're most likely to encounter Christ's presence. There's a few of you in this room, and we're about to close, that will say, Danny, I've done all that. I've done all that, and I still feel empty. You know what I'm talking about? I feel like I'm showing up. I feel like I'm disciplined in his word. I, I, I filled my schedule with serving people and I still feel empty. I, I know I'm going a little long. Y'all are like, oh, that's nothing new, Danny. What are we to do when we feel like we're posturing ourselves in all the ways that God's called us to posture, to be in his word, to be with his people. And you still feel drained. And you still feel like, I just want to see him. remind you of a story. You know this scripture. At this point, all the other disciples had seen Jesus. They, to be honest, they had the same doubts that Thomas had. Same doubts. They just were privileged enough to encounter the risen Christ before Thomas. Thomas was like, I'm not, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has risen from the grave until I, I touch him. Sound familiar? Just want to touch him. And in that room, all the disciples there, or Thomas was there, and Jesus miraculously entered that room. Jesus went to Thomas. Isn't that incredible? Sometimes we feel so guilty that we don't, the right feelings, we don't have the right feelings, and we don't know the presence of God in our life. And there's all this doubt, and we're like, I just wish God would show up. I wish Jesus would just show up and just prove to me that everything is going to be okay and, and that he is real. We feel so guilty when we have those kind of feelings. But listen, Jesus went right to Thomas, and Thomas had those feelings. 
And he said, put your hand in my side. Touch the holes in my hands. I want you to know that God is keenly aware of where you are. He knows the doubt and the fear that you have. He knows the longing that you have to touch him, to know that he's real. He does not cast you away for that. He does not judge you for that. But he says, come. Now here's the tough part. When Jesus finished this beautiful scene with Thomas, his graciousness towards Thomas, and Thomas's faith was restored, he says this, now listen. He says, you believe because you've seen But blessed are those who believe and will never see. The Hebrew, author of Hebrews says, faith is the certainty of the things unseen. And so we take the reality and the experiences that the apostles had and by the Spirit they put it on paper. And we read those words and we experience love through our brothers and sisters. And even in the moment of doubt and disbelief, we hang on to the promises of God and and the historical truths of Jesus in the scripture. We hang on to those and we say, I believe, help my unbelief. And we take one more step. And when we don't feel like it, even when we don't feel like it, and the Word of God says, love your neighbor, forgive your sister, speak kindness and be generous to those around you, and even when we don't feel like it, and we have doubt and, and, and unbelief, we say, I believe, help my unbelief, help me obey. Will that be us? Will we be those kinds of people? Me. Father, Lord, we know we are unable, unqualified uh, to do anything apart from the work of your son Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that with great faith, and posturing ourselves to encounter the presence of your son, that you would sink our roots deep into the vine that is your son, Jesus. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to pray that prayer of help us to believe, to obey. Continue to shape us, Lord. Help us to practice the presence of your Son every day in our life until he returns. And we don't have to practice anymore because it's a reality in all of its fullness. We long for that day. Until that day comes, 
help us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.